Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is the Soho Radio Podcast, showcasing some of the best broadcasts from our online radio station, right from the heart of Soho, London. Across our music and culture channels, we have a wide range of shows covering every genre, along with chat shows, discussions and special broadcasts. Here is just one of our recent shows. To catch the full show, head to our Mixcloud page or listen live at SohoRadioLondon.com. She will love me when she meets me She will love me when she meets me I am charming, I am Hello, welcome. You're listening to Soho Radio with me, the other woman, X-Ray Bex. Coming up will be sounds from some of the most interesting women in alternative music, lots of whom are based in London, plus an interview that I did with Tori Amos, the 90s icon, pianist, songwriter, and now author. She's written a book called Resistance, uh, which sort of tells the story of how her music has inspired a kind of resistance in herself and draws some parallels between her time playing in gay bars in Washington in the late 70s, early 80s, um, and the political kind of environment then compared to now. And there's some similarities there, which she talks a little bit about. So you'll hear that later on in the show over the next couple of hours. That first track was from Porridge Radio. You probably know Porridge Radio because uh, the band's just been nominated for the Mercury Music Prize uh, 2020. The new album's called Every Bad, which this track, Sweet, comes from. It's one of my favourites on the album. And, uh, yeah, they've been nominated alongside loads of pop acts, actually. So I lost my head a while ago But you Seem to die no better. We set fire in the snow. I had the pleasure of interviewing Tori Amos earlier this month. Uh, she's got a book out, it's called Resistance. It's really about the power of music to challenge um, the status quo, I suppose. And she talks about the parallels between what's happening in American politics right now and what was happening back then. When I was growing up, I was fortunate to be played all kinds of music. My mother had a record collection, and although she was a minister's wife, when my father went to the church in his um, minister's outfit, she would close the door behind him, make sure he drove away, and take off her apron, and then run get her records. And her records were, oh, just amazing. Um, big band, um, blues, Billie Holiday, just 
everything, you Frank Sinatra, then, of course, um, musical theater. And then my brother would come in. He was 10 years older than I and bring the devil music in that my father wouldn't allow, and he'd make me learn it. So that was really... I was exposed to a lot, and I revisit those records today now quite a bit. The challenge would be to make sure that I could play the music I wanted, and and my mom would have a twinkle in her eye. She and my brother would stand next to each other in the corner and have a giggle while my father would read the paper, having his, you know, whatever, coffee after dinner. And um, I'd be working in something from the doors or, again, devil music, Rolling Stones, and he would know, he would think it was... Um, my my repertoire from the Peabody because it, because it was disguised in a style. <laughs> he wasn't a stupid guy. He and I didn't always agree, and that's pe- people that know my work know that that um, that was just our relationship. But um, he and I can giggle about it now. He's ninety one, but he knew that music could be dangerous because it was powering the revolution of the late 60s. It just was. From Motown and the civil rights movement, along with anti-Vietnam War protests, were um, driven by songwriters. There's so many songs from that time that were, that were activist songs. And so I think that he knew, too, teenage girls were running away, I remember, I was about five, and they were running away from home, and there were several families in the church at that time that couldn't understand how and why their daughters were running away, but they blamed it on the devil music. So Ronald Reagan was running in 1980. So was um, Jimmy Carter, who was the president at the time, and we had an American hostage crisis in Iran. And um, Jimmy Carter couldn't bring the hostages home. And this became a very divisive, uh, it divided the United States, the people from each other. And so uh, the narrative became that we needed a different type of leader. At the same time, one of the Koch brothers was running on the libertarian ticket. And why this is important right now is because um, they figured out, the Koch brothers and, and those, the oligarchs, the American oligarchs around them that wanted to dismantle and still do the United States government and make it more of an economic aristocracy. And I began to hear and learn about this at that time because I was playing three blocks from the White House where the liquid handshake and all the lobbyists would gather. And so I began to hear this war. War rooms were being set up off the K Street corridor in Washington, D.C. And so that was really the inception of what now has become... um, of very few billionaires that control a lot of what is happening, the dismantling of democracy in the States. I met the Speaker of the House at that time. I played for him. His name was Tip O'Neill. When I first played for him, I didn't realize what the Speaker was. Everybody was calling him Mr. Speaker. And I was 14 at the time. I had turned pro at 13. And so... um, Everybody had the Russian flu that year for the party season. Um, and, and I was like fourth on the call sheet 
of pianist because I was young, but I, I had a big repertoire. So I got called in because I wasn't sick. And um, so I was playing for this congressional party, and I just said at a certain point, excuse me, sir, was you, what are you speaker of? And he said, that I'm speaker of the House, who is really the, the third most powerful person in the United States. And today, that would be Nancy Pelosi, who's speaker of the House. So I played for him. He asked me to play Bye Bye Blackbird, and I played, and he did a jig, and we had a blast. <laughs> So people would come with their scotch and whatever and hang around the piano and just we'd have these full conversations. So that kind of, um, dis, not disarmed, yeah, disarmed and, and made it a little bit more of a, um, n- not a confrontational conversation. And, and I would ask a lot of questions because, because I just was so curious about what they knew. And I found once I got them talking, then the need to kind of, you know, flaunt their power shifted into wanting to share what they knew and their experiences, even if some of them were, I don't know, somewhat diabolical. I think there are very few teenage girls that ever experienced what I experienced, and I'm very grateful that I had that opportunity because while I was being taught in high school what the United States government was like, I was seeing a completely different narrative that they were not talking about. They were not talking about the thievery of democracy and what that means and how they were going. It was happening before my eyes, and that's what's happening now. And I think right now is a pivotal moment whereby the population, I think, is going to demand not just escapism, but also work narratives that that tell us what's really going on. With me, I'm X-Ray Bex. Uh, this is the Other Woman Show on Soho Radio. Uh, it's been lovely having you. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at x underscore ray underscore bex. Plus, you can hear previous shows from my fellow Other Woman presenters by searching Soho Radio, The Other Woman on Mixcloud. Thanks for staying with us. Look after yourselves. Goodbye. <laughs>